Over the last three days, there's been a lot of stuff discussed at a lot of topics. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of questions running around through your head. If I was you and I was sitting in those seats, I'd probably have a lot of questions. So the idea of this is an open mic for any three of us. You guys can ask any questions, right? And we'll do our best to answer it. I can't promise we'll have every answer, but we'll do the best we can for you. I have a question for Cameron. <laughs> I wanted to get the first question in. You know me. I mean, that's just who I am. On the herb cocktail, do you take that like twice a day usually? And how long do you take that herb cocktail? Um, do you have suggestions on that? I really like that herb cocktail, but I don't know if I'm taking enough of it, how often, and when to take it. I think we've had this conversation before, haven't we? <laughs> so the question for the herb cocktail, right? Yes, you do want to take that twice a day on an empty stomach. And ideally, if you can fit it into your schedule, about 12 hours apart. So say you took it at like 8 a.m. in the morning, try to take it again at 8 p.m. The reason for that is a, a healthy transit time through your intestinal tract is about 12 hours. So if you had this gel, this amazing gel, moving through your intestinal tract every 12 hours, you would be on that like perfect clockwork. And not everybody can do that. I understand schedules don't always allow for that. So try to get as close as you can. Right? I often find like 10 a.m. and 11, 11.30 at night is kind of when I do it twice a day. Make sure it's in an empty stomach. When I say an empty stomach, you're looking for like an hour before you eat or two hours after you eat. Unless that meal is just like a, a vegetable juice, like a complete liquid, then an hour after that is probably fine. We need to know how much, right? I always tell people that product, and it all depends on the area that we're dealing with. And I can tell you that Canada can take a lot more than the U.S. Page, uh, customers. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a lot more toxic, because especially when I'm talking about the big cities. And I know some uh, doctors, naturopathics and stuff, that use that product on their, their patients. And they say, my goodness, I know you tell a lot of your people in Canada to take a teaspoon morning and a teaspoon at night. I have... Half my patients, if I told them that, they would end up in a hospital with detox, too much. What I try to tell people to do is start off with a half a teaspoon, morning and night, like Cam said, and build it up to a full teaspoon. And I might take three or four days until, but if after one or two days you're not having any issues, not any cramping, not any diarrhea, not any bloating, then you're fine to increase it. Increase it up to, uh, say, half a teaspoon twice a day. And then, again, increase it to a full teaspoon a day. What is the maximum, a lot of people ask, and my opinion is uh, that it should be no more than three tablespoons a day. So I always say teaspoons to start, and then build up to two tablespoons, and then three tablespoons if you are in a, have some bowel issues, that is. If you're just really going good, and you don't think you have a bowel problem, you still need this product, mm -hmm. but you don't need it at three times a day. Just twice a day, like he says, is great. So I just wanted to add those few little comments. I uh, have been taking the herb cocktail for quite a few years, probably in the neighborhood of about 20 years. And I do about a tablespoon twice a day. I also do the Avena enzymes, the, you know, the regular enzymes that we used to have before the uh, powerful guys came along. And I throw, uh, you know, usually a half a dozen in with those. Is there any uh, problem with doing that? I haven't noticed anything in my body that has changed that much. But uh, it just seems the bowel movements are a lot better. I think Three times a, a day without fail. I think this is going to be a habit. You guys are just <laughs> going to keep passing this mic over to me all night, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. So my concern there, Harry, is, is the action of what an enzyme does, right? Like we watched what the enzymes did in the oatmeal, liquefied it. For that herb cocktail to be truly effective, it gels, right? And I'm concerned that the enzymes are going to be preventing the proper gelling of that that substance, right, of the herb cocktail. So if it's liquefying it, it's not going to be able to do its job anywhere near as good as it could have without the enzyme. So I would try to separate it. Yeah, and if I understand that what Cameron taught me on the herb cocktail, it's a grabber of, it's a cleanser, not just for the bowel, but if you enzyme it, you're probably getting more bowel effect, but you may not get that cleansing effect because it's still got all the bowel benefits, I think. So I think that's why you're still getting the benefit on the, in the bowel with the enzymes, because that will help there, but you're not going to get that actual gelling GI grabbing all the toxins along the way. Would that be correct? That's my understanding. You have to remember, everything sits in your stomach up to one hour. So you don't want to add the enzymes while it's in the stomach. That's why we always say keep things an hour before, 
and two hours after. With the herb cocktail, how, how long can you take it for without your bowels relying on it? Harry, how long do you say you've been taking it? Yeah, have you ever gone off of it for a while for traveling or anything? Yeah, so he's been using it for 20 years. He's not found any reliance or uh, abnormal bowel functions when he stops taking it. You said six-month period he was stopped? Yeah, so numbers of periods of with, without it for six months and maintained it. So it is designed to be a safe, gentle her, or cleanse. And because it's forming into a gel, it acts different than most of its ingredients, right? So you really can't judge that product by its ingredients. You have to look at what all those ingredients do together as one whole new product. Yeah, so if everybody didn't hear that, Gloria was saying as long as we live in the environment that we're living in today with the toxicity in our air, our water, our foods, it's a good idea to assist our body in detoxifying forever or until this environment drastically changes for the better. So psyllium, right, is one ingredient, and it works for absorbing, right? It absorbs moisture. It's gonna, if there's toxicity in that moisture, it's going to be absorbed into that psyllium. But that's where you're going to be limited, right, by the psyllium hull. It's going to do one purpose. The herb cocktail does so much more. Um, one of the highlights I like about the herb cocktail is the corn silk has the ability to actually soak in and digest and break down the mucoid placking that happens in the bowel. And if you guys haven't seen this, I'm not going to explain it to you, but you should go home and maybe do a little Google search on mucoid plaquings. It's quite gross, and it's <laughs> it, it is scary. Yeah, you know, it's a scary bowel movement, but it's important to get that stuff out and deal with it. So psyllium has no ability to do that. Psyllium has no ability to improve the actual peristalsis unless you're taking a lot of it. The other concern of peristalsis, or it's not peristalsis, psyllium, is you could potentially dry out your bowel. Right, by absorbing too much of that moisture. With the herb cocktail, because you're mixing it with the liquid, you can get that right amount so you get that proper gelling. Does that answer your question, Marge? The, the answer to that is what I've been told when I worked with uh, David Elliott, who produced that product, is that it doesn't really clean out diverticulite pockets. That's where the bacteria really comes in. That's why it's so important. When we look at mercury, it likes to set itself in the diverticulite pockets. And, of course, the medical industry tell you you can't get that out. There's nothing that will, uh, will bring out mercury out of those pockets. And yet they have proven in many, many different results and tests that um, when you clean out those pockets, again, by having bacteria that goes in there and eats up the stuff, right? Proteolytic. Eats up the undigested proteins in those pockets, then those pockets heal up and dump the mercury into the mainstream. That's why they see the improvement of less mercury when they do the test. So they always ask the question, does your bacteria actually pull out mercury? No. It heals the pocket, so it dumps it into the main street, uh, mainstream, and then the body eliminates through, of course, normal bowel movements. So that's why the pro proteolytic probiotic is so important. Um, but again, those things can't heal up if your bowel is plugged because you can't pull that out of there unless you eliminate some of the material that's keeping it there, right? So by cleaning out the bowel with the herb cocktail and then with proteolytic probiotics, yes. Uh, I remember Kathy when she had lupus. She had 22 diverticulite pockets. When she was lupus-free, she had zero. I believe on the proteolytic probiotic, we have L-plantarum. Okay, L-plantarum is a communicator. L-plantarum is like the quarterback of a football team. It's the communicator. And so that's the leading strain in there. You also have what's called a proteolytic DDS-1 acidophilus, Okay. When Mel mentioned proteolytic probiotics, it's very important to have a proteolytic bacteria that lives on both proteins, fats, and carbs. Most uh, acidophiluses live only on uh, sugar. So the advantage of the DDS-1, and it's a patented strain, uh, it's very well recognized in the industry, and it's a must to be in your friendly bacteria. It's a venous. It's, it's expensive. It's not... It's got a reputation, and it's got a history. Um, go ahead. In my training, they said that 
um, the bacteria that you're using would make your body acidic and that if you're going to use lactis bacteria, however you say it, you're supposed to use an infantatus. It's closest to human. Well, you got to remember that mother's milk is what? What is in breast milk? The colostrum. Huh? The colostrum. An acidophilus, a lactobacilli bacterium. So a lot of people forget what these are natural strains. You can pull them up. You don't have to believe me. You can pull them up, and they're found in our bodies. Lactobacilli are found in our bodies, and they come right from birth with the mother's milk. So when I hear all these things about in my training, I was told this. I always say, I don't know who trained you, and I'm not going to argue with that training because it could be good. And I'm not trying to argue. I just want to be educated. No, with the person that's information on that. But I can tell you that lactobacilli are part of our natural flora. So, and, and you can use that and it helps. So when you say about lactic acid, where is the lactic acid occurring? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you in know? the lower GI tract, in the colon, okay? Yep, they do, lactobacilli do produce a lactic acid effect in the colon, okay, in that GI tract. They all work at different pH ranges, and they, so most of the work in a bacteria is done in an acidic environment in the colon. Yep. Almost all bacteria work in that environment. So, yes, you're correct in your training. It does produce some lactic acid. That is correct. It also produces some hydrogen peroxides and stuff like that. So it's very important to understand that when, by the time you get to the colon, the colon, we, we're alkaline above, but when we get down to the colon area, acidic is not the major problem in the lower part of the colon. Well, I've been using it for 30 days, mm-hmm. and you know what? I, I find that it's very gentle. It's very good. I've tried other probiotics, and within 24 hours, I felt doubling up. I was in pain, so I'm pretty impressed yeah. with the product. But your question was, she asked, did it produce lactic acid? The answer is yes, it does, like any lactobacilli, and in the lower part of the tract where it's supposed to produce a little bit of acidic uh, levels. Thank you. A proteolytic. Okay, you've got protease. Everybody's heard of protease. Protease is an enzyme that breaks down proteins into amino acids, okay, so that the body can reconfigure them and, and use those to make different things in the body. A proteolytic bacteria eats proteins, undigested proteins. If they're not digested in our, in our body, by the time they get to the colon, they start to putrefy. As they putrefy, they produce toxins. And Mel said, lots of toxins. Those toxins get absorbed where? Right back into the bloodstream. That's the easiest place for, for anything to be absorbed is, believe it or not, in the lower part of the GI tract. There, there's a very thin barrier there. So it's very important that we keep the toxins out so we break those proteins down as best we can in pre-digestion with an enzyme. And then we gobble them up with a friendly bacteria that eats those proteins before they putrefy and produces what we call supernatants, which are enzymes, vitamins, and uh, uh, assist in the absorb- uh, absorbability of minerals. So proteolytic only means like the game Pac-Man and the, and the food is not the carrot, it's the, the protein. So it's going around gobbling those things up. Again, when you take a proteolytic probiotic, there's a couple ways to take it. Uh, most people take it in, by making the yogurt. I think the yogurt recipe is on Avena's webpage. That turns billions into trillions, and that can be taken with foods. And then the other way to take it is just before you go to bed on an empty stomach. So while you're resting and the body is restructuring and rebuilding millions of cells, a lot of protein is being recycled while we sleep. It's being broken down and regenerated. Well, those probiotics not only eat the putrefied proteins, but they also produce protease, absorbed right back in the bloodstream, readily available while we're sleeping. So they do two functions. A proteolytic bacteria eats protein and produces protease. Just to expand on that a little bit further, too, um, something I think Phil left out was the viruses, the bacteria, the funguses in your system, those are protein structures. And so when you have a proteolytic bacteria and an enzyme, they'll actually digest these organisms as a food supply. And so that gives like the DDS-1 antibacterial, antifungal, antimicrobial, antitumoral capabilities. These are really powerful claims to have behind probiotics. And how many of us should have that kind of bacteria in our systems at all times to prevent 
a lot of our problems. I get that question quite often. Um, Avena itself doesn't have any really one that we recommend. Uh, we have some choices, uh, liver cleanses, there's many of them. And I say, you look at the ones that are out there and you choose the one you think that you like. Uh, some people can't stomach uh, drinking olive oil and lemon and some of these other type of cleanses, it all depends. So I don't know if there's any particular hard unless these guys can answer that, but uh, there's a couple of good ones. I think if, if Lou was here, and we'll do a Lou, who's Lou answer to that, would be dandelion greens and juice in your green juice. Adding dandelion greens is a great detoxifier for your liver. Along with the super digestive enzyme, he would say do your, your juicing, your lemon ginger blast with dandelion greens in there, hit the liver, hit it hard with the enzymes and your greens. Also may want to consider apple cider vinegar. A lot of times there's liver stones, gallstones. The apple cider vinegar can help break those sediments down and that'll allow that those two organs that are really beside each other to function better. What about the effusion? Uh, what do you want to know about it? Absolutely. So vitamin E, every time I, I see vitamin E come into the press and into the media, it's talking about amazing liver functions. It's been linked to helping to turn around diabetes. It's been linked to hypoglycemia, hypoglycemia. It's been linked to hepatitis. These are all liver disorders. And the vitamin E is making a, a huge wave and there's tons of more research being sparked by the responses they've seen by vitamin E in the liver. And so the effusion is a base of vitamin E. It's, it's a rice bran, a special soluble rice bran that's about 60% more absorbable than most rice brands out there. And that gives you your main vitamin E's, your tocopherols, your tocotrienols, and your tocopherinols. And I think, in my opinion, it's one of the most absorbable and best ways of consuming it. And the added bonus, it is 100% whole food. So it's no isolates, no single vitamins. You're dealing with the whole food like it was originally intended to be. And it's 100% raw. Um, you talked about the herb cocktail and the enzymes and maybe not putting them together. So of, say, the probiotics, the two different enzymes, super and enhanced, um, and the probiotics, what combination of those shouldn't you be doing maybe at the same time? Again, the probiotic strains we pick produce enzymes. And there's proteolytic enzymes they produce because we got a proteolytic bacteria in there. And there's sugar-digesting enzymes, and, so, and there's fat-digesting enzymes that they're producing. Therefore, if you want to add, I usually tell people about one of the enhanced enzymes to every six of the probiotics. If you want to supercharge your probiotic, you can do a one to six if you like. But you could do six to six if you want. But people ask me, ideally, what would you do? Proteolytically, I would give them a little bit of boost with about one enzyme to six probiotics when I'm taking it night before. Not when you're making yogurt or it ain't going to work. But when you're taking it therapeutically or systemically, one, to, one per six. I'm just going to expand on that a little bit because I've had three people this weekend ask me. Um, Avina used to talk about keeping the enzymes and the probiotics separate, right? And some people said, well, you know, we were told not to do that because they'll have negative interaction. And that was kind of, I guess, what people assumed or jumped to the conclusion. The, the definition was always we didn't know what the interaction between enzymes and probiotics were. There wasn't enough research. Nobody had been testing that or trying to discover that. And working with enzymes and bacteria is a more expensive test than most of just working with your vitamins and minerals. The exciting thing is in the last like five to 10 years, we've had more research done on probiotics than in the 50 years before it. And so now we can start to see these interactions between probiotics and enzymes. And we start to see that where we used to keep them separate because we didn't know and it was the better safe than sorry type of process. Now we know that they can be taken together and actually can boost each other. Right? So they can actually help each other instead of just being neutral. So, The one thing you do want to avoid when taking a probiotic are any type of antibacterial type product. And that includes herbs and vitamins and minerals. Zinc is a great antimicrobial mineral. So when you're taking your probiotics, you don't want to say, hey, I'll take some zinc with it. So, And the reason I know that as a manufacturer, we test our products for bacterial count. And this one guy came up with this ingenious formula one time, beautiful formula, we send it off, and it come back, no bacteria count. He thought it was our fault. So we thought, okay. And he had enzymes in there. So we removed all the enzymes, sent it off, still no bacterial count. So I'm looking at the formula and going, well, what about all these antimicrobial herbs? We took all those out, sent it off, 
<clears throat> without the enzymes and off tested fine. So I thought, okay, well, let's put the enzymes back in. It actually tested higher in the lab with the enzymes than it did without the enzymes. So that's when we started doing research and finding out that there was a lot of new research out there combining a enzyme with bacteria. So it is an option, but it's easier to do it because not everybody needs to do that by just adding one enzyme to uh, the bacteria. Uh, definitely at night, if you want to enhance it, you can do it there. Now, the problem with taking enzymes at night is what? Does anybody know what the problem with taking an enzyme just before bed is? Keeps you awake. It's an energizer. So now you're going, okay, I'm you saw, everybody knows the law of physics. You add something that breaks something down, it has to release energy to do that. It's like if I had a hammer and a block and I wanted that hammer to break that block, I have to add energy. Some more I have to get the energy. So when an enzyme can break down oatmeal, it has to release energy. Well, that same energy just before you go to bed might keep you up a little bit at night. So I always tell people, don't, don't take a lot of enzymes just before you go to bed unless you want energy. Now, I'm on a long drive. I'm a little tired, and I'm thinking I'm falling asleep, and I don't want to get in an accident. I would take enzymes, and a lot of them, because they will energize you and wake you up. So that's the – yes, there you go. I mean, right, you can pop those in. You saw the oxygen released in there. Uh, that was free oxygen. That's like putting an oxygen mask on you, that metabolic oxygen. Oh, I'm sorry, Harry. <laughs> You know, that's why these question and answers here. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of enzymes just before bed. And you'll remember, they're releasing energy. So that's why I say only one to six. That way you're not over-enzyming yourself just before you go to sleep. As a manufacturer, yes. Okay, it's up to Mel and those guys. I always encourage, there's, the ones that I would refrigerate are the probiotics. Now, I don't, just to tell you, I don't. You're asking if you would, but I go through those very fast. So if you're going through those products within less than 12 to 18 months, then no, you don't have to necessarily refrigerate them. But if they're going to be more than 12 to 18 months, then yeah, go ahead and refrigerate them. Uh, if you're making cheeses, I always encourage you to refrigerate them. If you're going to use them for cheeses and stuff like that, um, then go ahead and refrigerate. But I have mine by my bed, so I remember to take them every night in the capsule form, and then I have the powder form in my refrigerator. The enzymes themselves, no. You can put those anywhere you want. Uh, heat's not going to affect them. Just so people know, we did have the, the probiotics tested at 110, 120, 130, 140 degree incubated temperatures, and they all did fine. So you have a safety net there, but the shelf life goes down faster the higher the temperature. And, yeah, I agree. All products, if you could keep them in your fridge, that would be great. But I don't know how big your fridges are. But with the amount of product that I have, I have to be selective, right? So, yeah. So the two products that I always have refrigerated is Effusion, right, because this is a whole food. You have to treat that like a real food. It will go not really rancid, but the flavors will start becoming very dominant, right? The, the tocotrienols will start separating from the rice bran, and it will dry out, right? So Effusion is a great one. Probiotics is a great one in the fridge, too. The herb cocktail... Um, a lot of those are very, very, very stable at the room temperature. But, again, I wouldn't suggest that you buy a product and sit on it for a year, right? Why did you buy that product to use it? So <laughs> use it up, right? Keep it fresh, just like your real food, right? I wouldn't go to the grocery store and buy 12 months of food and then wonder why it looked bad 12 months from now. We're not using a typical type product. This is a whole food, real product, so... The capsule's made up of 57 chemicals, two drugs. No, just kidding. I was, I, I was watching a commercial this morning. It got to me. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a fiber, plant-based fiber. Um, it is made from a tree. So it's a, it's a pine tree bark fiber that's soluble. So if you put those in room temperature water and you want to see how soluble, usually within 30 seconds to a minute and a half, you'll start seeing it break down. So it's very quick. It's a good fiber. It's actually got benefits. Uh, if you look it up, it'll lower your cholesterol. It does lower blood pressure. So if, you're on, uh, if you've got low blood pressure, you might empty the capsules out if you've taken a lot of them. So people say, I have low blood pressure. Those capsules do help because they're soluble fiber, help with cholesterol and lowering blood pressure. So, but it's a plant-based fiber. Um, now be careful, not all vegetable capsules are made from pine. Some are still made from corn. Uh, so you have to know the ingredient. The ones that Avena selected are not corn-based, uh, plant-based um, fiber.
Hi. Um, can you tell me how long you should do a liver cleanse, or how, how would we know when we've cleansed the liver? How long? So, yes. Like some of the ones you see that are like lemon juice and olive oil, uh, I've seen a three-day, I've seen a five-day, and a seven-day, right? Every, you're going to have varying opinions on this topic. Um, depending on what you're dealing with with the liver, and I would basically, if I needed to do a liver cleanse, I would do it, level, let, level, uh, sorry, let the liver rest. That's a tongue twister. And then do it again as often as needed to get the results that you, you're, you're looking for. How do we know when we have an optimally clean liver? Well, basically, when you're looking at uh, a toxic liver, there's a lot of things you can look at, like liver spots. Obviously, those are simple ways to evaluate it. Um, but most astringent liver cleanses are usually limited to like a seven-day period. So when you're doing what we call an astringent liver, liver cleanse, there's gentle liver cleanses and astringents. Astringents are like dandelion greens. Those are going to hit you hard, and, you, and they're going to purge your liver, and it's going to dump fast. So your liver is cleansed. But how, you, how your liver is cleansed is basically what you're eating, okay? Because if you're not eating appropriately and you've cleansed your liver, it doesn't take very long for the liver to get toxic again. So most people do a liver cleanse without changing their diet, and that doesn't really do much. So you really need to look at why you might have a toxic liver and what you're doing to do that. Again, lemon ginger with the, the uh, super digestive enzyme will aid in that. But the astringent part of it, usually about seven days. That's, that means the astringent herbs. So when do you, how long do you rest and when do you repeat? How long between each? Uh, cleanse, yes. Cleanse? Um, usually p- people will say about six months, about okay. six months between astringent cleanses. I think, I think Dr. Schultz, when he used to do his with the black walnut and the real astringent ones, it was like 12 months. So each uh, herb has kind of like an astringent time period, but typically a strong astringent usually about six months. If you're doing it for eczema, you know, usually uh, you might do another one in three months if you've got bad eczema, and so you're going to do one. Uh, or other skin rashes, you might do one in three months. Um, but usually, typically, on a seven-day, you usually don't want to do one any sooner than three months. Uh, one more question. Um, how do you determine how much diverticuli you have, and how will you know you've healed them more? Is there, aside from a barrier? Anybody test, been told how many they have out there? Like, how would you? Yeah, on the diverticuli? Anybody been told how many they have? How many diverticuli do you have? Has anybody been told how many they have? Like if you've got an an inflammation, I mean the pockets. There you go. You get a scope. Yeah, they go up there and they count them for you. So I didn't want to answer it directly. I thought somebody out here that's had it done knows the answer. The best way is to have them tell you how many you have. And what's nice is, is that um, I've seen uh, my aunt specifically. She went on the probiotic. She was 70 years old. And she, she had a lot of them. She went like, Kathy, she went on them. The doctor went back in and he said, I don't know what happened, but they're gone. And so the only proof is, is he saw them, and the only proof is he didn't see them. I never saw them. I didn't go looking. So, <laughs> Thank you. But I had to trust my 70-year-old aunt on that one. Which of your product would be better um, for, um, I have a, a sister who has a, a polyp in her gallbladder and some stones. Which would best try to shrink it and get rid of the stones all right um i'm going to answer that by saying hey mel do you want to no Uh, (laughs) again you know when you get into the stones what kind of stones are they what are they eating are they acidic or are they a calcium type stones we have to kind of know their diet so that's a very difficult now the good news is it don't matter when it comes to enzymes and probiotics that part's going to be easy the other part is, is what are the diet changes that we got to make? That part, lots of water, obviously. She so, does. Yep. And does she put lemon in her water? Yes. Okay. So she's alkalizing her body. So she can add, like, there's some other uh, stronger astringent ways to remove those stones. But I, we would want to know where she's at, how old she is before we actually answer that. Can so. I say? She's 55. She doesn't eat a lot of meat. She eats lots of fruit. She likes... So they're probably not calcium-based if she's not a big meat eater unless she ate a lot of meat in her earlier life. So it's probably not calcium-based. So basically, you know, there's some some oils that she can use uh, that she can actually drink. There's some ways to kick those up. But I don't know how big they are. I don't know if she's gone in and had them x-rayed. So I would go enzymes and a detox for a while and then probably... As long like as the herb cocktail and then the super enzymes? Uh, the herb cocktail will help with the GI and keeping that clean, but it's...
is electric sea. Electric sea. Electric sea will actually dissolve them. And also apple cider vinegar. Now, electric sea, you can take, um, a lot of people ask the question, how much can I take? And the only way to determine that is to take, say, a teaspoon, and then the next day take two tablespoons, or two teaspoons, and then the next day take three tables, teaspoons, tablespoons. And uh, when, whenever you get diarrhea, in other words, sooner or later you're going to get diarrhea. And uh, when you get diarrhea, you know that you've hit your maximum of the uh, vitamin C. Then you need to back off, of course, by a teaspoon at a time until the diarrhea stops. That's how you determine your tolerance on vitamin C. Because so, uh, like the fellow that had the testicular cancer, um, I would think that a polyp that's in the same family is a growth. So what product, like if she has a polyp in her gallbladder, what would she take with the electric C? Well, basically, what he did was a lot of green juicing, because that's okay. a lot of detoxifying. Uh, added um, 100 enzymes a day, just so you know. And then 50 of these super digestive enzyme. And he did heavy, heavy probiotics. And so a lot of the lemon ginger blast, 32 ounces of that twice a day, okay? Heavy probiotic use for him was 50 probiotics a day, okay? So, and then a lot of lymphatic. A lot of lymphatic, so 20 minutes, twice a day. Um, he was doing, um, he didn't do it twice a day because I was with him when he was doing it. He did it on, straight on, but he would do 20 minutes of, he, uh, he didn't have his uh, lymphocyzer yet, so he started with jump roping. He was doing 2,000 jump ropes or 20 minutes, whichever came first, because at first he couldn't get 2,000 jump ropes in 20 minutes. I know, I counted them for him to make sure he wasn't lying to me. But, uh, no, so you can do jump roping as a form of lymphatic exi exercise, and then you can do, he started doing some cardio jogging and running. Then he got his rebounder in, and that came in, and then he started doing rebounding as part of it. So it's keeping the lymphatic fluids moving. That's the key in that area. Any other questions? questions? I'll ask Phil a question like he did us, right? I'm going to ask Phil a question. I guess the question that probably a lot of you would like to know, because a lot of people ask about probiotics. Um, you know, you see them out there, or the friendly bacteria and stuff, like 12 strains, 20 strains, and a lot of people have this attitude that more is always better, right? And so I'm going to get Phil uh, to answer that. Uh, what is the norm, and what is the research showing that a good probiotic should have as far as how many strains should it to really be a balanced, powerful bacteria? Thanks, Mel. I think there's a you go to the penalty box and you guys are all hockey players up here, you know, in the penalty. No, actually, I I told Mel I was getting that question a lot while I was here, like how many strains of bacteria are good, you know? Well, how many strains of bacteria are out there? Is there one, one hundred? There's thousands of strains of bacteria out there. So I guess if twelve was good, why not fifty or a hundred or a thousand? Well, that's not what we're after is just strains of bacteria. So when you get into these 12 strains, each strain is going to eat some food. So what you do is you go and you do your own research. That's what I've been telling people. And you'll find that research shows between four and six strains are most effective that work together as a team. Don't get those that compete with each other, but that actually synergize each other. I think somebody I heard today said 2 plus 2 equaled 11. Yeah, same thing here. When you get five that, have the, that work together, it's five equals 50. They also have to be probiotics, not bacteria. Probiotics must meet stringent requirements. Um, I think Cameron's aware of those. He puts them on his page. What must they do to meet the definition? Um, when you eat uh, organic food, are you eating bacteria? Anybody know? Yeah. You're eating a lot of bacteria, hundreds of thousands of bacteria. Yes, yeah. When you're hugging somebody, are you getting and breathing bacteria? Yes. So check out where they've been lately. Uh, you know, don't, don't have to, you don't have to do a personal, you know, hygiene test or anything like that, but at least ask them if you No, bacteria is all around us, but probiotics are important. DDS-1, as I said earlier, must be the, one of the foundational probiotics because it's proteolytic and yet it's still in the lactobacilli family. But the, the five that Mel selected were selected for specific reasons, to get specific results, but also that you can use to make culture cheeses and, and make yogurts with because billions become trillions. They're, yeah, we have the strain that Activia has in there, the LKCI. It's great for diarrhea. It's great for children. 
So you don't have to have a children's bacteria and an adult bacteria. We were all children once. We all become children again. Just ask Papa. We go through cycles. We start out as a child and we finish up. We love being children. But no, as a, as a serious note, friendly bacteria like the LKCI has proven very beneficial, and that's why Activia selected it. But we also put it in there for its benefits without all the other additives that they put in there. But yes, these five were picked for specific reasons. They synergize each other. And to me, these, are, these five are the elite. But again, four to six, and it'll, most people tell you four to six is ideal for the body to uh, utilize. And then somewhere between four billion to 12 billion per serving. Somebody asked a little earlier about what were the five strains. We never actually did come for all five strains. So we got the Lactobacillus acidophilus DDS1, Lactobacillus KCI. We got Bifidum bifidum, Lactobacillus planetarum, and the Bifidum longum are the five strains that are inside the probiotic, and they're awesome. B. longum is known as the warrior of probiotics. Again, it's a strain every probiotic. If you're looking at the one with 12, make sure those five are at least in there. The other seven are going to compete with those five. If they have those five, look for the DDS1. If you're, for some reason, looking somewhere else other than this great product here, leave the room now. But other than that, no, just kidding. Uh, um, the, those five must be there, and you want the warrior, and you want that belongum. It's also the greatest hope from a bacteria fighting colon cancer. These are research studies I didn't do, but I definitely know the research on them, so key, key probiotics. So Phil, can you explain to us, right? Several customers always ask, like, I was told not to buy a probiotic that has an FOS, right? Now I understand it's because most FOSs are maltodextrin. And so they're assuming that every FOS has to be maltodextrin or like it, and it's best to avoid. What do you have to say about that? I agree. If it has maltodextrin, avoid it. No. Uh, The FOS, like Cameron says, is fructooglyosaccharide. Okay. It's a non-digestible carbohydrate to the human body. Yeast can't eat it, doesn't feed candida, but it feeds these bacteria. Now, one thing I can tell you is is most unfriendly bacteria live on what? Sugars, okay? What's their second source that they live on? The putrefied protein. That's correct. Putrefied protein. Of those two, you know which one causes more disease? Putrefied proteins. That's where the toxins come from. The inability uh, and the putrefying of tryptophan. I mean, you can go through the diseases. The sugars are, are the less of the concerns. So the main thing is to not feed the protein-digesting hostile bacteria. Most proteolytic hostile bacteria are conjugating or what we call mating bacteria. Two together create one, okay? So that one becomes different than the two, just like mom and dad making a child. We can still DNA structurally. That's called a mutating bacteria. You don't want to take anything that could potentially mutate. You want fission-based type bacteria. These two looked exactly like mom. They're twins to mom and dad. You know, so bacteria can do that and do it safely in a non-mutative form. Those strains are very important. You never want to take a mutating type or form of bacteria but you are competing with mutating-type bacteria. Out-eat them, out-produce them, outperform them, and they'll go away. Well, I think if the probiotic has a proper food supply, right, it could be sugars, right, it could be proteins. Whatever it's able to eat, typically this probiotic will double in size every 20 minutes. Yeah, so it is the food. Now, you can add a colostrum to it, which will be a food, but I would rather have these probiotics eating the undigested proteins and sugars in my intestinal system as the food supply. And remember, colostrum is a good food source for who? The bad guys. The putrefied part of that colostrum is still a good source. This is an undigestible food source. Only the bacteria can eat it. So what better source than just their food source? You can't break it down. Now, you can because these are fermentated bacteria. And in the lower GI tract where they're producing lactic acid, they are fermentative. They're doing their job on the fructogliosaccharide. So people ask me, can I get gas from this? Yes, you can. Yeah, fermentative gas, depending on the food sources, what's in there, what's going on. So there is a fermented uh, possibility, but it's, it's in the right place where it's supposed to happen. And that fructogliosaccharide will not feed the yeast candida and all the bad things along the way. Colostrum. No enzymes, as we heard earlier, and a food source for anything else that, along the way. And if it's an organic-based colostrum, it's going to be high in its own bacteria as well. 
Well, her problem with her almonds, I'm not going into great detail, but but uh, basically she was just sharing with me, if you don't, if you're using almonds, yeah, she, if you don't soak them correctly, you don't rinse them correctly, and you overdo some, you can produce excess fermentation. Excess fermentation in the upper GI can create a sulfur smell, and people around you don't like you very much. So when you do do that, learn from Cameron how to do it properly. There's different smaller amounts and different ways to do that. Increase your bacteria, culture it into a yogurt, a lot of options so sulfur doesn't head south of the farm. Okay, well, I'll touch base on I've read some several studies of kind of what you're quoting, and yes, it was very well seen. They started pulling some of these probiotics off the shelf and testing them. Some of these ones that claim to have like 26 different strains in it, and typically they would find one or two that weren't very good, that it could overpower it. And that's kind of what Phil was talking about by choosing probiotics that work as a team. They need to work together synergistically because if you don't, you could very well run into that position, right? And that's not about shelf life, right? That can happen very quickly, right? That could be a product could be very fresh and it'd still be competing with each other and you would lose a lot of that beneficial. I'll let Phil kind of talk about shelf life of a tickable probiotic. Um, probiotics are tested, GMP in the U.S. now. So they have to be certified to be as the same count or what they have is what's an, a tolerable limit, maybe within 80 to 120% of what was on the label at the time of manufacturing. So this old at the time of manufacturing was used for many years, but under GMP guidelines, they don't like at time of manufacturing so much. So these strains actually, one, the, at, they lose about 3% per year at room temperature. Now, everybody wants to know, okay, what is room temperature? Uh, it's 42 degrees below zero. So if you're living above that, no, actually, that's 80 degrees that we use as a, for bacteria as a rule of thumb. So at 21 degrees Celsius, Cameron gave me the quick math. So at 21 degrees Celsius, about 3% CFU loss per year. So if you're given a two-year, and I believe Mel, do you use two-year or 18-month? Two-year, you've got a 6% loss, so you're still well within that 80% range that is allowed off of the label claim. And so, but just so you know, we sent one off at one year, and it was at 99.5% at room temperature. So we had it retested for you. Frank's question really is uh, regarding our warehouse. How do we make sure that uh, first in, first out? That's basically what his question is. And uh, uh, Mitch, who runs the warehouse, has a system that he likes and uses and very effective. And uh, he always uh, basically tapes off any product that is newer than what's currently being used. So we have lot numbers. And uh, we don't open up any uh, new lot number until, of course, the current lot number has been used up. So he has a system that tracks that all the time. And so every time you're getting uh, the product, um, you're getting the current lot number. Even though we might have newer stuff on the shelf, of course, we have to keep moving the older stuff. But this is why we always run into some kind of inventory problems once in a while. And it's been better. Because you've got to understand that it takes these guys eight weeks to ten weeks to get his product. Because they have to shop and get all the raws and all this kind of stuff. And not every time does every company have the raws that we need at that particular time. And so sometimes there's delays in there. So um, there's reasons why that happens. And uh, so we try to make sure that we keep it fresh. And so we don't order six-month supply. We try to have a supply for one to two months maximum at a time because we want you to have the freshest product possible. And so because we're keeping that so tight that we can run into a situation where we run out of stock for a couple of weeks because sales were a little greater than we anticipated at that particular time. So it is a really a balancing act. And uh, we do get caught sometimes with our pants down. <laughs> Well, and the, and the point Mel said is, okay, so, you know, Mel puts a two-year shelf life on his. You know, if, if we didn't have a working relationship, that stuff could have been in my building for two years. So what's the efficacy if it's really only got a two-year shelf life? So when Mel's order comes into us, that's when we – Mel says, well, what's the first – well, first two weeks is we don't keep these raws in our warehouse. We're a manufacturer of fresh products. These, most of these are considered foods. Enzymes come from natural sources, so we don't keep a large stock. The bacteria themselves, we place the order to the bacteria, and it's grown. Okay, It's not like waiting around. 
You know, we want it freshest. Shelf life itself, Mel asked me this one day, the shelf life of my enzymes are three years. So if someone called me up and it was like two years and 11 months, how good is it? Well, the three-year means it's as good as the day you bought it. That's the requirement. So at three years and one month, how good is it? It's as good as the day you buy. Not in one month, it just went to zero. Well, three years and two months. Okay. So you can really figure when you get to the end of the shelf life, most things are well within their acceptable ranges anyhow. But the shelf life is, is it's as good as the day you bought it. That's the difference between shelf lives. It must test at the same or the tolerable potencies. That's a real good point because a lot of people say, well, I don't want that product because it's going to expire in two, two months. Like he says, it's still as good as it originally was. So don't be afraid of buying a product that maybe has only a couple of weeks left on expiry dates. Expiry dates should be and could be extended by many, many months or years. But again, there's limitations by Health Canada. So uh, I wish we could make them four or five years because they're probably just about as good then. In the U.S., they want to eliminate expiration dates. They go to manufacturing dates because the expiration date is a marketing tool to make consumers throw things away is how they look at it in the U.S. It's not really when the product goes bad. It's a marketing tool to make you throw it away. So in the U.S., they're saying that's not fair. You guys got to prove this isn't good anymore. Wait a minute. Well, that, that's a new rule. So it's really expiration dates in the U.S. are considered a marketing tool to make you buy more product. Now, Natural foods like milk, I like that expiration date if you're going to buy like an almond milk at the store or uh, fresh organic foods. They have best if used by dates. But nutritional supplements, they have a manufacturing date in the U.S. And I think that's what Mel's saying is, is because expiration dates, the product didn't expire. And so they're still just as good. Yeah, that's the, th the thing is, is that because of the mindset, when an expiration comes up, a lot of companies put them on sale. And so that's the time to buy. That's the time to stock up if you're going to use it within 12 to 18 months from that date. Uh, again, like Cameron said, I wouldn't buy something to last you four years. I have family that, because of their faith, they restock their stuff every two years because they keep it in their basement. And people ask me what I'm going to do if there's a world catastrophe. I'm heading to my family. That's where I'm heading because they got all this food stocked in their basement. But, but um, no, typically it's a rotation. So uh, would you take it intravenously? There's vitamin C chelation that you can go do. Well, you can do you can do vitamin C chelation drips. You know, I think right directly into the blood. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I would substitute with the enzymes for chelation more than I would the vitamin C. I've seen the the enzymes do amazing things for clean cleansing and detoxifying the blood, better than I've seen the vitamin C. And she has heart problems, right? Effusion, lots of effusion. Does everybody know what it was called? Toco though. Toco is a short name for vitamin E. Tocotrienols. So it's still vitamin E. The E-fusion actually explains, because a lot of people, what's TOCO? Remember the guy says, what's GMO? How many people in here now know what GMO is? Raise their hand. Still people don't know what GMO is, okay? In this room, okay? Yeah, so how many, pe how many people really know what TOCO is? Does anybody know what TOCO is? TOCO is what? Almost vitamin E. It's vitamin E after an enzyme has cleaved it. Vitamin E until an enzyme comes back in and cleaves a vitamin into. Remember, every vitamin and mineral needs an enzyme cofactor. Vitamin E is vitamin E until it's cleaved into its tocopherols and tocotrienols. Well, this is already pre-cleaved for you into its tocopherols and tocotrienols. Are there any enzymes in the toco or the effusion? Who put them in there? Nature. Nature put them in there. We didn't put them in there. So it's not enzyme enhanced with any type of enzymes, okay? So the effusion only has those enzymes. It's one of the... Things that not a lot of times we'll say, hey, enzyme enhance this herb or that herb, but not this one, okay? Because it's already been enzyme, it's part of the proprietary process that this particular formula has, but it's basically enzyme enhanced vitamin E already done for you as tocopherols and tocotrienols. Vitamin E is good for only in a tocopherol tocotrienol form. That's why I said the, a lot of the effusion. It'd be very good for her, yes actually helps those, helps the legs do that stuff. So it's really good. Mm -hmm. Before you go, Harry, does everybody know Harry? A lot of people don't know Harry. Harry, just come up and tell them a little bit about yourself. Come on. Kill some time for me. These guys. Oh, GMO? Uh, GMP in the U.S. Everybody know what GMP is? GMP is uh, it's called good manufacturing practice, but in our business it's called get more paper. You didn't have enough. 
It's a way to make sure you did things right. So whenever the GMP auditor shows up, he says, you don't have enough paper yet. Get more paper. GMO is genetically modified organism. So that's what we learned about. You, don't, you want to stay away from GMO. Harry, tell them a little bit about this. <laughs> I see all the girls are hiding now. Anyway, uh, I've been with Avena for about 20-odd years and then some, and using their product, product religiously. And I never miss a month, and I never miss a convention. And it's nice to see that we have people like Mel Terry still hanging around with a concern and, and, and heartfelt need to help people. Just fantastic. And, and Francis, and he's still Frankie to me, but Francis to you folks. And it's nice to see a young feller coming up here that's going to take over from his dad with the same strengths and the same thinking and the same guts that it takes to keep a business like this running because it's tough. <laughs> How many people have I shared this with? 2,792 people approximately. Yeah. Tomorrow will be 293. <laughs> I try to bring people with me, and I have, yeah, I guess I have an organization, and I don't call it a downline or anything like that because I think that's foolish. I think what it is, it's uh, a line of people helping people who help people to get better, understand nutrition, and just feel great. And that's the way I've always approached it. It's never been about anything else except helping people, and I got that from these guys. And uh, I'll tell you, they've been great support people all the way along, and I've never, ever been afraid to phone and talk with Mel at the office or Cameron. I don't phone Phil long distance very often because it's expensive. <laughs> and he wouldn't answer anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. But I've, I, I'm able to tease with these folks and, and that sort of thing and have a really good time. And I hope, I hope you folks have had a good time too. So um, just with that, I'll, I'll get out of your hair. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks, Harry. So any questions about, is it safe to take enzymes for a long time? Is it safe to use these products for a long time? Those all go to Harry. Harry, what was your phone number again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's your answer right there. 20-some years, shared it with thousands of people. I mean, it, it, that's what it's about, right? Isn't that what we're here for? And Harry, I'm going to hold you up to your promise of changing your lifestyle and diet that you made today. Well, again, you know, the question, if anybody didn't hear it, effusion is from the rice family, and that is correct. And it's got a nice, a nice natural vitamin E infusion in it. It's got natural iron in it. It is the soluble rice fiber, okay? But there is about a 15% protein base to it, uh, so it's not all the whole. Uh, it is a proprietary process. I can't answer him. I'm just glad that I like my e-fusion. Um, I, I, I can't defend everybody's position or agree or disagree with everybody's position out there. When, when Lou's here and he's been doing TOCO and he's 63 years old, he always just says, okay, I'll do what I do and you do what you're doing and then we'll talk in 10 years. So, I, I, I mean, again, there's opinions on everything. That soluble uh, TOCO got my daughter with MS to have a baby. I've used that many times for people that have those types of conditions as part of my consultation. I've used it with people that have a hard time absorbing iron. I don't know. I can't answer his question. He might be here to give you a better explanation. My answer is, is that it's a great product, and it works, and it's been out there for years. And do some people say, I have a reaction to it? If they do, because some will, I usually think they're lipase deficient. So if you have a reaction, there's not enough protein in there, but it's good fats in there. It's about 30% good fats. And most people that have a reaction to TOCO are having a reaction to a lipase deficiency. I can uh, testify for that. When I first tried the TOCO at the time, uh, I would get nauseous. Like I would hover over top of the sink thinking with any, any minute, this is all coming back up. And I was watching all these people make like massive differences with diabetes and hypoglycemia and hepatitis and being like, man, that's an amazing product. I gotta try it again. And I get nauseous. I get nauseous. I'm having a conversation with Phil one day on the phone and I'm, you know, explaining the whole thing and what's happening. The only way I can take this product is if I put like two tablespoons of toco into it, let it, or two tablespoons of 
of enzymes into my toko, let it sit for about five minutes, then I can tolerate it. And sure enough, it was a lipase deficiency, right? I was struggling with digesting fats and I didn't really realize it. And this is my way of easily figuring it out. So once I was able to figure that out, I really started supplementing with more lipase, building up my body's natural reserves of lipase. And now I have no problem with the effusion at all. I have a vertigo problem, you know. Um, a lot of times I, I have to ask them about their diet, find out where they're at. But I, typically I put them on the enzymes. I get their body uh, alkaline as quick as I can with some lemon ginger blast. I get them uh, doing a lot of the effusion um, to get all their neurotransmitters firing correctly. But because it's oftentimes vertical is uh, inner ear problem, I've actually had them make eardrops out of the probiotics with a little bit of warm water, uh, sift it. You don't that time you don't want the necessarily the food source, and put some actual uh, probiotic eardrops into their inner ear because it might be a bacterial infection down in there. Same thing with sinus infections. All, all, you can make sinus drops, and you can actually, or Mr. Fire, your probiotics, and you can use those, uh, inhale those, a couple of ways to, uh, additional ways to use those. But typically, I use probiotic eardrops and a little bit of warm water to see if it's a bacterial infection, the enzymes, and the life essentials. Okay, just real quick. So I don't know if everybody can hear her. She's had vertigo off and on eight years, changed her diet, and she's actually increased the amount of uh, time she's getting vertigo. Possibly. Or remember, every vitamin and mineral will not react or be bioavailable without enzyme cofactors, too, so you can get calcium buildup because you don't have proper enzymes. Uh, when you change your diets, a lot of times you forget. That's the time to – anytime you make a dietary change, you, you initially weigh up your enzymes, weigh up them. I don't care if you're going from this diet to that diet, but primarily if you're going to a raw diet. When you go to a raw diet, you're going to really want to up your enzymes. Uh, I brought this article – called Enzymes Beyond Digestion. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to go over it. Uh, talks about enzymes for vegans. They think they don't need them. This is a, a study that says, yeah, you need them initially especially because you immediately become a lot of times protein deficient, calcium buildup, a lot of things happening because you're not getting enough what we call systemic enzymes, enzymes inside that need. What is it, anybody know what an enzyme is made up of? I know, Nicole, you raise your hand to every question. Anybody besides Nicole know what an enzyme is actually made of? Amino acids. An enzyme is only made of protein. Anywhere from 100 amino acid combinations up to 2,000 amino acid combinations. So you go all vegan, and the main thing that makes those 5,000 to some studies say 50,000 enzymes within our body are amino acids. So all of a sudden you go all vegan, and your amino acids get, profiles get out of balance. Take more enzymes when you make that dietary change or you'll get mineral deposit buildup because that calcium still needs to be delivered with an enzyme. So I would say add more enzymes and the magnesium, by the way, and the inner ear drops in case you did get a bacterial infection. So if anybody over here didn't hear that, he was taking Herber Brilliance, and now he, now he enhances it with enzymes. And within this first time, he was 50% better, 50% better the first time he did it within... A few times it was completely gone, 90% gone. So if he ever gets any traces of it, he just takes Herbal Brilliance with enzymes. It is our product, yes. It's available right over here if you want to go home with some. I just want to add, that's, that's where you guys like Francis come into play because a lot of times the information that we gather does come from feedback from you guys. We develop or, or try to create a formula for specifically this, and sometimes the side benefit is something additional. Those, a lot of times, we hear feedback on. And thanks for that, Francis. That's, that really helps both Mel Cameron and I. Because Vertigo is kind of one of those that has a lot of possibilities. Um, can be a, an electrolyte imbalance. So where are you getting your electrolytes from? Um, because anybody that stood up too fast, you know, you can lose your balance. So... Uh, Francis, you got more? You should. Where's Francis? Get Francis's chair up here so you can, if he's going to answer questions. Yeah, he said that that little ball gets clogged. So you get your friend to take a baseball bat, hit you in the side of the head. It usually takes care of vertical real quick. Something I know my, my sister's used quite a lot when she's had inner ear problems is massage oil. She rubs it like in the ear and around the ear, and that really allows that muscle to expand and relax, and you get oxygen penetrated deep into the tissues. And if you are having... Uh, oxygenation problems or swelling of that ball or 
you know, clogging on your inner ear and not just being able to communicate through the massage oil can really help. We only got time for a couple more questions, so wrap it up. Yes. And she says, so most of her patients, when she's treating vertigo, the ear is related to the liver, right? So you work through the liver, detoxing and cleansing the liver, and the vertigo greatly improves. And just before you get there, right? Sometimes when people switch to like a raw food diet and symptoms get worse, we have to be aware that like raw food, typically if you're going to raw food, most of you will go organic food as well, right? Now organic food will have less pesticides, but it'll have more pests, right? You'll, you'll be eating a lifestyle and a diet that exposes you to more funguses, more bacterias than, than a, one that's basically grown in pesticides, herbicides, been irradiated, right, highly processed. And so if you are struggling with a problem or a disease that's being caused by a bacteria and you switch to a raw food and symptoms get worse, it helps manifest that that problem is being rooted by bacteria and viruses. And that's why the probiotic becomes so important, backed with the enzymes. Yeah, yeah, and paracleanse, right? Because you're going to have these pests in your food. And that's, that was our history before we had all these pesticides and herbicides. Just to add to that, regarding organic food, that's why it's very important that you wash, like an apple cider vinegar or something, organic food. A lot of people got this opinion, well, it's organic. I just can just eat it. And uh, these guys are saying that it's actually worse than non-organic as far as bacteria, yeast, and mold, and all those things. So wash it. Very important if you're eating organic. Just real quick before, anybody hear about peaches up here in, in Canada being recalled? In the U.S., the peaches, organic peaches were recalled again because what Mel was talking about. Organic is nutritionally better. It's grown better. It tastes better. But you have to, like anything else, you have to take extra precautions just like anything else. In today's world, there's things out there that you want to still take advantage of. And up your probiotics and your enzymes, again, eating organic. Don't lower them because you think it's better. Nicole, what's your question? It was. Was that question answered? I hope people remember the answer to that question. Yeah, because we're using proteolytic probiotics, they actually make proteases as part of their digest. They've got to be able to eat protein just like we do. And so they, microbial enzymes are where most enzymes come from that are plant-based. So they produce proteases as part of their digestive process. Those proteases don't eat them. Our proteases are like a key. Anybody own a car here that came today or you guys all fly in? You know? And you got your car key. And you go out and you got that car key and you think, man, I, I like that Mercedes over there. I think I'll take my car key over and open that Mercedes up and drive it home. Well, a couple of things are going to happen. One, it's not going to probably work unless you break the window, reach in, and do a few other things. Well, enzymes have, are keys. They only unlock certain doors. They do help in certain areas, like Cameron said. They do help the body in certain ways, but they don't unlock every other door. That's why the other 5,000 to 50,000 enzymes in our body still must support it. So when you're using a proteolytic probiotic, you can use proteases and enzymes with it. Um, it it's not going to harm those bacteria. The body knows. We have, we're, our body's full of bacteria. If that was the case, you shouldn't never take any enzymes because our body's loaded with other microbials, and you shouldn't eat any foods with enzymes. Cook everything till it's dead, buried, burned, because those enzymes are going to go kill those bacteria. So, any other final one final question from anybody? Okay, last question of the day. You guys have an option. I, if I was with Avena, I'd use their multivitamin. Go ahead and not worry about that because they happen to have a product. But if you're all vegan and you don't want to take a multivitamin, then make sure you're taking lots of the probiotic. Okay, that's the solution that we recommend is the strains we do help to synthesize B12. So basically what we recommend, and then foods, most foods, vegan foods do not have very much B12 in them. And the B12 that's in vegan type foods, they use, the scientists will say is very hard to be bioavailable. What they're missing is, is that not if you got the right probiotics. And again, if Lou was here, he'd tell you he hasn't taken B12 in over 40 years. He's been vegan. And no B12, no vitamins, no minerals, no supplements, but he eats lots of greens and he eats lots of the probiotics. So the solution for vegans is greens and probiotics. Or the vitamin supreme. If you really, you know, people ask me, what do I, how do I feel about a multivitamin? My honest feeling is if it's enzyme enhanced like the vitamin supreme is, 
and your body only needs a little bit of this particular vitamin today, but it had all the other vitamins. What happens to excess vitamins, Cameron, when your body takes them in and you don't need them? They become what the old doctors used to say, expensive urine. Well, I call it cheap urine. The reason I call it cheap urine is because that vitamin supreme isn't that expensive. If that one particular vitamin was the one you needed that day to keep your body functioning, it's kind of like a computer. If you get a virus in a computer, it ain't a very big virus. But finding that little critter is hard. But if you don't get that virus, then that computer functions normally. Your body is way more powerful than any computer out there. You get one little missing vitamin, and it could make a major difference in your body. So if, uh, if you've got a vitamin supreme and you're not opposed to taking a multivitamin, I always tell people, take it, you know, especially if it's enzyme-enhanced. If you don't want to do that, go ahead. Proteins, proteins usually. Take it with a nice protein, typically. There's some water-soluble vitamin in there as well, but I usually tell people take it with a nice protein. Yeah, that's what I usually tell people to take multivitamin with is a good protein. And also vitamins and minerals, when you get them in a form, they usually come with an amino acid chelate for a reason. Makes them more bioavailable when you attach them to a protein amino acid. That's why I usually say proteins. All right. A lot of people have left, of course, and some of that, so we don't really have any big fancy uh, uh, final closing. I just want to take just a moment to thank each and every one of you for being here with us this weekend. And uh, obviously, you're the, you're the real true uh, people who really care and want to make a difference because you're sticking it right to the last minute. So those are all a lot of good questions, and uh, we hope that this weekend has been, you know, beneficial in every one of the talks and lectures. And I'm sure that if you take all the information and you know, take what you like, apply it, and uh, the stuff you don't like, and like I say, everybody has different opinions on different things. So you can't bring in every speaker that's going to teach you the exactly same philosophy that we have. But what we're trying to do is give you a really well-balanced every year of different speakers that we feel have a pretty good message to share with you. Not that we always agree with everything that they say or do or write. So again, we thank you so much. And so on behalf of Francis, myself, and my wife Kathy, and the crew, Cameron, and Nicole, and all my staff, uh, we thank you so much. And uh, I'd really like to see next year uh, double in size. Think we can do that? Okay, great. So thank you so much, and uh, please feel free to hang around and ask any more questions. Any personal questions you don't want to share in an environment like this, uh, please feel free to come up and talk personally with Phil, Cameron, and myself. Thank you again, and uh, God bless you.